Good morning to everyone. <clears throat> if you're visiting today, we're happy to have you here. Um, we're studying uh, the book of Genesis here in this class, and we're uh, really coming down to the last two weeks of, of the class, so we've got a few chapters to cover today as we uh, go through Genesis. And just to go ahead and get out of the way, um, Sarah didn't like the the Valentine's present I gave her, so that's what the bump on the head is. Not really, but um, I was just cleaning at the school Friday before homecoming and after a pet rally, and anyways, bumped the bleachers and had a stitch or two up there, so uh, my daughter said, just quit getting hurt, and um, some reason I have a way of doing that sometimes. So we're picking up in chapter 33, um, but um, I did want to point out uh, right at the end of 32, uh, where Jim uh, was closing us out uh, last week, uh, there's this verse, and remember um, Jacob was wrestling with God, and um, basically um, Jacob wouldn't let go, even when in verse 25, uh, Jacob's hit was uh, put out of joint. And, um, and so <clears throat> there's this question um, where it says, what is your name? Now here's God to asking him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And um, verse 28, he said, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And so um, there's this thought, this concept where um, God wanted him to remember who he was. Um, And he asked him his name and he he basically was changing his name. And we're going to get to a little bit later where God reiterates this new name to him. Um, and states it to him again. But one thing for us to remember when we become Christians is that God wants us to remember who we are. And um, when we put on that name Christian, when we're baptized in the Christ, uh, we need to remember who we are, that we're not uh, the same person uh, any um, anymore. You see this occurring several times in the Bible with some other folks, uh, even in the New Testament with Saul to Paul, and it was a little bit of a significant um, reminder uh, that he was a new person, and we should be that same way as being Christian, we are a new person, a new creature, as the New Testament says, um, and, and we need to remember that. All right, let's go into uh, Genesis 33. Remember that um, Jacob's going back to his hometown. The last time he left, uh, he and Esau were at odds, and so he was afraid. Remember, Esau was extremely uh, mad at him, but it had been 20 years. And remember, uh, Esau had how many men with him? 400 men. And so in verse 1, we're told, that Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So what did he do? He divided his children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. 
And guess who he put up front? He put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And we, re- we remember that he loved Rachel um, more th- uh, than Leah. It's interesting they, they did that. Um, but then, as they're coming, uh, notice verse 4, the reaction of Esau. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. What does that reunion remind you of? Prodigal son. Almost the same uh, words there. And it's interesting that Jesus in telling that parable, would use those same uh, basic words uh, there. And uh, all the more reason why uh, Jesus had this masterful way of bringing together the Old Testament scriptures in uh, with his teachings. And it's interesting that Jesus turned that those words into a depiction, a reminder of us and God. Uh, but here Esau... Um, had every right to be upset with, uh, with Jacob. And Jacob goes before him, bowing to the ground seven times in verse 3. But Esau ran to meet, uh, meet him. And um, we see in verse 5 that Esau lifted up his eyes, saw the women and children, and said, Who are these with you? Um, basically, he's blessed there at that time with 11 uh, children and lots of flocks. Remember, lots of servants, lots of possessions. And um, notice Jacob's reaction, uh, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. One thing we need to remember is that everything we have comes from God. And that's what Jacob remembered uh, here uh, that his children came from God. Uh, everything uh, he was blessed with, it was because God was with him and um, uh, he was there. But notice how Jacob reacts to his um, possessions. And so uh, verse 8, Esau said, what do you mean by all the, this company that I met? Jacob answered to find favor in the sight of my Lord. Remember, Jim pointed out that he kept sending uh, flock after flock, uh, drove after drove of these uh, different um, groups of animals and and basically gifts um, uh, in front of him. And but notice how Esau responded in verse nine: "I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself." Verse 10, Jacob, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. And he was so pleased that Esau had accepted him. But notice verse 11. This may be one you highlight. It's one I've highlighted in, in my Bible. It's certainly one of those we need to remember uh, from day to day. <clears throat> Verse 11, please accept my blessing that has brought to you. Why? Because God has dealt gracious with me and because I have enough. You know, what is enough? Sometimes in this earth, we don't keep in mind what is enough. Here was our opportunity 
that Jacob wanted to bless someone else because he felt like he had enough. We're either in the, the getting phase or in the giving phase. Um, and it should be that uh, we keep in mind what we have is enough. It's a principle we should um, pass on to our children. And how do, how do we know our children get that? It's when they're willing to give to others because they have enough. Um, and this doesn't mean he wasn't blessed with more. We find that God ends up blessing him with more and more. But he had this giving spirit and he had this gracious spirit of acknowledging that everything he had came from God. And that he had enough on this earth. And it was uh, opportunity. He saw this opportunity to bless someone else. Um, <clears throat> and so we need to keep uh, that in mind. It's, it's one of those I've wrote down uh, to remind myself uh, that when opportunities come our way to bless someone else, uh, to, uh, that we need to be willing uh, to bless uh, someone else, and Jacob did that at this time. Well, uh, skipping on down, we're going to um, uh, kind of move quickly through some of these chapters. Um, in verse 17, we find that Jacob journeyed to Sekoth, and he built himself a house. Um, pretty big deal. Abraham, we're never told that Abraham built a house. Uh, we're never really even told that Isaac did. Um, that all we know is that they dwelled in tents uh, and were sojourners. Um, but we find in verse 17 that he built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. And then we find in, um, he came to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. Uh, and he camped before the city uh, from the uh, sons of Hamor. Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the land on which he had pitched his tent. So he, he bought this piece of property. And one thing uh, to keep in mind is who he built, uh, bought it from. He bought it from Hamor, the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father. Um, so you have this basically king of this area, Hamor. And he had several sons. We're not necessarily told how many sons, uh, but he had quite a few. And here um, Jacob buys this piece of property from. Why is that important? Well, let's jump in the verse or uh, chapter 34. And I'll have to just uh, be um, up front that chapter 34 is pretty graphic. Um, and adult language, basically, there. Uh, adult content, I should say, not adult language. But here we have, in verse 1, Dinah, the daughter of Leah. Remember, she was mentioned as the only daughter that uh, he had, at least that we're told about. Um, when she, uh, she went out, verse end of verse 1, to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, 
He seized her, lay with her, and humiliated her. Basically, he raped her. Uh, raped her. But then, verse 3, we find that his soul was drawn to her, and he loved the young woman and spoke tenderly uh, to her. Um, kind of ironic there. And in verse 4, he asks his father, or tells his father, basically, spoke to his father, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Kind of sounds like a spoiled, entitled prince to me. Uh, but he uh, won uh, to basically marry her. And um, so, uh, Hamor, and along with Shechem and several of these others, uh, basically gather up to go approach Jacob. Verse 5, Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter. And so, but his sons were in with the livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. So here, Hamor and Shechem, they come to meet with Jacob. But then we find verse 7, okay, here come the brothers. Brothers of Dinah come in uh, from the field. And verse 7 tells us that they were indignant and very angry because they, he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. Uh, but listen to these salesmen. Uh, Hamor and Shechem were some kind of salesmen. They do two sales jobs, they think. The first is they try to convince uh, uh, Jacob... Uh, and the brothers, basically, uh, to give them Dinah um, so that Shechem could marry him. Um, so the first thing is to calm them down in this tense situation and notice how Hamor attempts to sweet-talk um, Jacob and his uh, sons. So verse 9 um, he encourages to make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, verse 10, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Um, Shechem also spoke up, also said to um, Jake, um, Jacob here, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask for me, uh, ask me for a great, a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. So uh, they're trying to sweet talk um, them on Jacob and his sons on this, but notice verse thirteen. You know Jacob has been deceitful in the past a couple times and we see it come out uh, again here and he knows how to play this game and so um, they answered sons of Jacob asked Shechem uh, answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah so verse 14 they say we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace for him. So basically they say, you and everybody around you be circumcised, and then we'll give our 
sister, Dinah, uh, to you. So basically, we have the greatest sales job in history. Um, so verse 24, Hamor and his son Shechem go back to their city and they commence all the men, they say, hey, we re- Shechem really wants this woman to be his wife and the Israelites have told us if all of the men will be circumcised, then I'll get Dinah to be my wife. Now, can you imagine, men, can you imagine what kind of sales job that would be? But they decide to do it, of, of all things. And so then, uh, verse 23 and 24, we find... Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. And so notice verse 25. On the third day, when they were sore, basically two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. So basically two brothers went in, took revenge. While all these men were sore, they basically killed every single man uh, in the city. Uh, So if you want to say the greatest con job in the Bible, this this would rival uh, some of them there. But it, it basically paid back for uh, them for raping uh, their sister. And so basically we find in verse um, uh, 25 and a little, few verses after that, they plundered the city. They basically took everything that was in the city, all the livestock, everything that they had, plundered the city. So how did Jacob react? Notice verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? And so... um, Jacob is a little concerned about the other Canaanites, basically, that they're going to now gather up against them. So that leads us into chapter uh, 35. Any questions on 34? Um, So 35. um, This is where Jacob renames uh, Jacob. I mean, God renames Jacob, and Rachel and Israel die in verse one, God tells Jacob to go to Bethel. And uh, remember, this is where an altar was, uh, had been uh, bef- there before. Verse 2, so Jacob said to his household and all that who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. So Jacob's fearful of the other uh, people in the land. He goes to Bethel, but before he tells everybody in his household, put away these foreign gods, purify yourself. 
And verse 3 is another one of those key verses if you want to highlight uh, there or underline. Um, he said, Then let's arise and go up to Bethel that I may make there an altar to the God, knows this, who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. We've seen this um, with Abraham um, and with Isaac, and now we see it with Jacob. And Jacob had seen it several times in his life that God was with him. And even though in this tense situation uh, where they basically uh, deceived and uh, killed, uh, slaughtered the whole city of, uh, of all the males and taken everything they had, um, as revenge, um, he prays and to God and he tells his people basically that God has answered him in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. It's one of those verses that um, stand out to me and you might have had tough days in your life if so, and if you haven't, maybe star this one as, as being one to look to when you do. Um, God is there for you in your days of distress. He's in, there in the good times, but he's there in the tough times. And Jacob acknowledges that he has been with him wherever he has gone. And to me, that's key uh, there. And notice how um, God reacts here. And so, verse 5, And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So we don't know exactly what that was, but, uh, but um, God basically caused all these other cities to not pursue them. Um, distracted them, brought down something on them, so that they didn't uh, pursue them. So God w was with them. And then verse 10 we find, And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your, your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. So a second time there that he repeats this new name of Israel. And then verse 11, if you'll notice that, this is Genesis 35 verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own uh, body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So this is just a reminder that uh, Jacob, you know, left to go to Laban to Mary find his wife's uh, wife, and he ended up uh, marrying uh, both Leah and Rachel. Now he's back in the promised land. Uh, they've defeated this one uh, area, and God is uh, reiterating the blessing as to him and to uh, those after him. Um, we also find in uh Verses 16 through 29 there, uh, while traveling, um, notice uh, verse, let's see, 16, Rachel 
went into hard labor. She went into labor and she had hard labor. Verse 17, when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name um, Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, uh, that is Bethlehem. So here we have the twelfth son, Benjamin, born, and Rachel died uh, there in the process. And remember, they really favored Rachel, and Rachel had how many sons? This is the second one. Uh, The first one was who? Joseph, and uh, this one was Benjamin. That's key here in a couple uh, chapters. Then we find that Jacob made his way back to his dad. So he's already met Esau. Now he makes his way uh, to his dad. Verse 27, Jacob came to his father, Isaac, at Mamre. Um, In verse 28, the days of Isaac were 180 years. In verse 29, Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So here we find where Jacob makes his way all the way back to his father. His father ends up dying. And both brothers, even though they had fought all their life, they uh, buried him uh, together uh, there. And uh, so kind of closed out uh, that section. Uh, Chapter 36 is kind of, we're going to kind of skip Uh, through that. It's basically a list of all of Esau's descendants. What I will mention is two verses. Verse 6, Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property they had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, uh, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. Um, the land of their sojourns could not support them because of their livestock. So remember, <clears throat> Isaac had acquired a whole lot. Jacob left with nothing. But then he built up a lot. So you had Esau that had all of Isaac's uh, livestock uh, there. Now here comes uh, Jacob back, and he has a lot. But who decides to leave? Esau uh, decides uh, to leave. In verse 8, we're told, So Esau sailed in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. So here we have basically the Edomites, and they'll come into play um, a little bit later on. So next, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead It's going to sound weird. We're going to cover chapter 38, but then come back to 37, uh, and you'll understand why in in just a minute. So in chapter 38, we have this uh, situation of Judah. It's kind of this story that's inserted uh, in. And um, so if you look at chapter 38, Judah um, basically has twins by his daughter-in-law, Tamar. So verses uh, 1 through 5, we find that Judah um, married a certain um, Canaanite, verse 2, whose name was Shua. 
And we find that they had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. So he had three sons. Well, Ur, verse 6, um, had uh, basically Jacob, um, Judah uh, took a wife for his uh, firstborn son, whose name was Tamar. But we find in verse 7 um, that Ur was wicked inside the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. So here you have Tamar that was married to Ur, but God basically killed him. So uh, Tamar is a widow. So then Judah says, verse 8, go to your brother's wife. And, but we find that in verse um, 10 that God killed him. Um, he did what was wicked inside the Lord and put him to death also. So you have Tamar here that's a widow. In verse 11, Judah told her to remain a widow until his youngest son grew up. But in the meantime, we find in verse 12 that Shua died. This is Judah's wife. Judah's wife, um, Shua, died. So here we have Tamar out there that's basically his uh, daughter-in-law. She's waiting on his youngest son to grow up because that's what Judah told him to do. But Judah's wife dies. And then we find in verse 15 that, uh, well, let me back up to 14. She saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. So Judah had not been, kept his word to Tamar. Did not give um, his uh, Tamar to his youngest son, uh, Shelah. So she covers herself, takes off her widow's garments, verse 14, covers herself with a veil went to the entrance of the city. In verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. Um, basically, um, he lies with her. And then we find that he promised her a young goat, verse 17, as payment, but he didn't have it with him. And so she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it, verse 18, she, he gives her uh, or she asked for his signet, basically a signet ring, his cord, and his staff. Well, then she leaves. Um, she leaves. And a little bit later, three months later, we find verse 24 that Judah was told that she had been immoral. Uh, but then uh, when he comes to her and everybody comes to her to find out what's going on, Basically, she produces the three things, the signet ring, the cord, and the staff, verse 25. And so uh, Judah realizes what had gone on. And we find verse 27, when the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And we find that their names, in verse 29, were called Perez and Zerah. Now, why does the Bible insert, insert this uh, in there? Do you remember what Perez is? Or Perez who? 
uh, was. What's that? In Jesus' lineage. So Jesus is going to come forth um, later from this lineage. So if, if, if you look in Matthew 1, basically you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and then Perez in Jesus' lineage. So that's a little bit why this uh, story is inserted uh, there uh, into that. So it's interesting that even in Jesus' lineage, uh, there's um, this uh, situation with Tamar uh, mentioned um, in there. And so um, maybe another story for another time, but certainly uh, interesting uh, there. So let's go back to 37. And the reason why I'm going to talk about 37 and 39 together is because we're talking about Joseph here. Any questions on uh, 38 before we kind of move on? I know I'm moving quickly, but we only have two weeks left, and so I'm hitting the high points of of these uh, chapters. So in chapter 37, we have Joseph. He's the favorite um, son of um, uh, Jacob. And we find... That Joseph, verse 2, is 17. And he was out with his brothers, and he came back, end of verse 2, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So basically, to the other, on, he told on the older brothers, on these uh, other brothers, I should say, uh, he told on them. So we find in verse 3, that Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons uh, because he was son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. So we know the story where um, basically Joseph was given uh, this coat of many brothers. Verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So his brothers uh, despised uh, Joseph Um, and he didn't like it. So to make things worse, Joseph has a dream, verse 5, told it to his brothers. They hated him even more, and this is the dream. Verse 7, he said, uh, Behold, we were binding sheaves in the uh, field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. Um, And then he had another dream, verse 9. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And so um, he told these two dreams, and um, they again rebuked him. They said, what is this dream you have dreamed? This is in verse 10. Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves down uh, to the ground before you? In verse 11, and his brothers were jealous of him, um, but his father kept that saying in his mind. And so um, he's gotten his brothers pretty jealous of him and upset. And so verse 11, uh, his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Israel said to Joseph to basically go check on him. Um, and then they see him coming, 
um, verse 18. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Verse 20. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, verse 21, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand to him, that, that he might rescue him out of their hand and to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors they wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and there was no water uh, in it. So basically Reuben stopped them from killing him, but they still threw him in a pit. And there's no water in there. They sat down to eat, verse 25, and there's this caravan of Ishmaelites. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, verse 27. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Verse 28, then Midianite travers, traders passed by. They drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And so then, verse 31, they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They showed it to their father, Jacob. And verse 34, he tore his garments, put sackcloth on his head, mourned for his son many days. He refused to be comforted in verse 35. And he said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. But then we find verse 36 that the meanwhile the Midianites had sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So now let's turn over to 39. So the reason why I took out the 38 earlier is because verse chapter 39 is basically a continuation of 37. That here um, in uh, chapter 39, we have Joseph in Potiphar's house. Um, so in, uh, uh, in Potiphar's house, notice verse 2 of chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and was in the house of a of his Egyptian master. Notice verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all they did to succeed in his hands. So here's God blessing Joseph and everything he touches, Joseph uh, succeeds. And Potiphar sees that. Verse 4. So Joseph saw favor in his sight and attended him he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So God is really blessing Joseph. Potiphar sees it, and he ends up putting Joseph over all that he had. Um, and so even though Joseph's away from his family, been sold by his brothers, been sold as a slave, 
here God is blessing um, Joseph. Well, then notice verse 6. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. So we have here that Potiphar's wife wants Joseph to sleep with him. But he refused and said, verse 8, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. Verse 9 is one of those key verses if you want to highlight, especially the end of it. He is not greater in this house than I am, uh, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Um, Powerful statement that Joseph made. And what he realized that is if he slept with Potiphar's wife, it wouldn't just harm um, Potiphar, it wouldn't just harm his situation, but he made this statement, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Most of all, he didn't want to sin against God. So Joseph was one uh, that was full of integrity and realized uh, that. But that knows verse 10, she spoke to Joseph day after day. So she kept speaking to him day after day. But he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But then one day, she called him by his garment, verse 12. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Well then, verses 14 through 19, she makes up a story. And so Potiphar ends up putting him in prison, verses 21 through 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So once again, we find that the Lord was with him, was with Joseph, and he was uh, found with favor in the keeper of the prison. So he ended up putting him over the prisoners. And in chapter 40, as a result, we find that uh, Joseph was over the prisoners. He ends up interpreting two dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. And all he asked in return was that they would remember him. Um, Well, the cupbearer's dream was positive. The baker's dream was negative. And the positive part of the cupbearer is that he would be restored back to being the Pharaoh's, to serving Pharaoh. But the baker's uh, promise or the dream meant that he would be basically executed. Um, and so that came true. Um, verse 23 ends chapter 40 there. But yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And so here's Joseph. He's sold by his brothers, but Lord's with him. Um, he's it comes to um, greatness in Potiphar's house, but then the wife uh, comes after him, and then makes up a story about 
he tried to come after her. He's put in prison, so he's down the dumps again. But Lord was with him. He rises to power over all the other prisoners. Um, he interprets some dreams. At the end of verse uh, chapter 40, we find here that the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. So next week we'll see what we can uh, cover. Basically the end of um, from 41 on is basically talking about Joseph. Uh, the rest of the time talks about uh, Joseph in Egypt um, and um, brings us basically to the time where the Israelites um, are ready to get out of Egypt in, in Exodus. I appreciate your attention and hopefully we've uh, picked up a few points that will encourage you this week, mainly to remember that God is always with us. We need to trust uh, in him. Thank you.